Coming up, a conversation with Lawrence Joseph Martinez, Colorado Springs mayoral candidate. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor of 6035. And I'm Julie Ott, communications lead for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome to Lawrence, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me here today. Yes. Can you take a couple of minutes and tell our listeners and viewers about yourself and why you are running for office? Okay, about myself. I've been living here for 38 years. I've been quite involved with the community itself through the El Pomar Foundation. 18 years now working with them, doing different projects, listening to nonprofits on what they need to help them to move forward in Colorado Springs. My children grew up here. They're all natives, um, except now I've only got one left and the rest have moved out of town. So why do I want to run for mayor? We need an equalization within the community itself. We don't seem to have representation as though the developers do when they make large contributions. It seems only certain people get to whisper into the ear of the mayor. We have to make sure he hears all voices, not just one. Thank you. All right. Let's get into some specific questions. Uh, Lawrence, where do you stand on the 128% water rule uh, for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annexed developments? You know, I believe that is a good rule, 128 years, but we need to take a look at that every three to four years to see if we're going to be able to sustain the water that's needed for development. We need to work with developers to let them know they need to also look for an access for water. We've got a half a cup of water, and if we allow for large developments, we're going to make that a quarter cup of water. We need to make sure they can sustain what they're building. We just can't have them come in, build large developments, then leave without doing what's necessary for us to sustain the water that we do have. And, and what about the annexation portion of that? How, how do you feel about how the city goes about annexing property? and? water being available for those properties? The annexation, we have so much room we still have within Colorado Springs that we can build in. By building outside of the city itself, we're extending our utilities that far out. Um, I believe we should look once again to infill. We shouldn't allow the developers to decide to go someplace where they figure they can build and then build bigger. Mm -hmm. So we need for them to do be to be responsible in where and how they build. Okay. Thank you. Julie. Yes, I'm going to ask the second question first, actually, on okay. that annexing topic. Sure. Should the city consider extending water and or other utilities to subdivisions located outside the city that might never be annexed as part of a regional water provider? No, they shouldn't. One of the reasons is our utilities are high enough as it is. If we start delivering utilities to areas outside the city, the people that are going to pay the most are those living within the city. Their prices are going to go up. Their access to what needs to have for them to be able to have growth inward will be limited. 
Okay, thank you. We do waste a lot of water on landscaping, approximately 78%, whether that's a resort that doesn't fix a broken sprinkler head, um, you know, for a few days, or perhaps on the city-owned golf course, or a neighbor that plants non-native Kentucky bluegrass. What are your thoughts on how we can do better? We can do better by educating the community on what exactly we're wasting water on. We need to teach them exactly what kind of plants they need to put, what kind of grass they have to have. We can teach them how to zeroscape and let them make decisions of what they want to put down. But we also need to increase the fines for those who decide, hey, you know, it's all right. I'm well off. I can afford to pay for water. That's not equalization. So we need to look at uh, policing areas that we know are overuse in water. Thanks. Brian? Uh, here's a private property rights question. Uh, where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? So we do have to build. We have to have places for people to live. If the area is large enough and you have the ability to accommodate another part of a housing for where you live, I think it should be allowed. You bought the property. It's your right to do what you want with it. But make sure you're doing it in the right kind of way. Uh, just to clarify that, you said if it's large enough, who would determine that's sort of relative, right? Is that up to the city to decide? Is that up to HOAs? Who, who makes um, that decision? I'd say it'd be up to the city because they're going to be responsible for what's put onto that property. We've got to make sure it's large enough that they can accommodate whatever building they're going to put there. Mm -hmm. So because you got to go and uh, put in for paperwork to do what you need to do, they can take a look and make sure you've got the right amount of land. So you would be okay with the city setting parameters? Yes, the city, for, the city setting For building parameters. ADUs. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. Julie? Along residential type of questions, um, whether someone is homeless because of choice or perhaps not choice, addiction, PTSD, um, or having just left home for whatever reason, we, along with the rest of the county, do have homelessness issues. And how would you address that issue? Okay, we've really got to change the way we work with homelessness. Um, a lot of uh, nonprofits here have seemed to turn homelessness into a business. We've got so many that are here, and let's just use an example. Springs Rescue Mission in 2020 uh, spent over $4 million in wages. They only put out 3.25 in services. Well, if you take a look at that, my goodness, that's like a business. You're making a better profit than some of the private businesses. So we need to take a look and bring them all together. At one time, El Pomar had a program in which they were going to do a campus, and it didn't work out because of the fact that people didn't want it in their backyard. They wanted more money for their property. El Pomar gave them the notice and said, you know what, you guys come up with it, but we only need one CEO. We don't need so many. Um, if you take a look at all the millions of dollars that they've been provided out east, we should already have apartment complexes. We should have a campus and where they can go to and get everything from medical services to education, uh, be allowed even to fix their cars so they have mobilization to get jobs. We really need to look again, once again at it. Who is doing a good job? Who isn't doing a good job? And redirect the money to those who are doing a good job. All right. Can I follow up on that one? Uh, do you have examples of ones doing a good job? You mentioned Springs Rescue Mission, maybe not meeting your expectations. What There are. I, I would say the Merriam Soup Kitchen is one that does a good job. I mean, they go out of their way to make sure they feed those who need to be fed, clothe those who need to be 
clothe. They work with uh, families. They work with single mothers right there. They've also got a little medical center that they're able to take a look. Uh, as for myself, and I don't know about the other candidates, but I go down to the Merriam Soup Kitchen and have lunch probably once every two weeks and sit down to see what they're doing, how things are going, and just listen. Uh, Springs Rescue Mission, I've been there before for dinner. I've sat in the camps with the homeless. I've gone to the park across the street from the Merriam Soup Kitchen to find out what's going on, who really wants services and who, who doesn't. So we need to take a look at everybody individually. But we also have to tell them, you know what? We're going to give you what you need, the tools, but we can't get, keep giving it to you again and again and again. We also need to make sure the nonprofits are talking with each other what they're doing for the same person. You've got a person who can go to multiple different agencies and receive the benefits from them without them knowing that they've already been given benefits from another location. So we need to centralize that as well. Okay. Uh, this question has to do with public safety. Uh, Colorado Springs Police Department is short Dozens and dozens of officers, anywhere from 50 to 100, depending on uh, time of year and which study you look at, uh, but about 70 to 100 officers below authorized strength. Um, this is while homicides are breaking records, traffic crashes are breaking records. What do we do about public safety and our police department particularly? I think we need to reinvent our police department. We need to start speaking with the officers themselves and find out exactly the reason why some are quitting or moving on to different agencies. I myself have probably ridden over a 1,000 hours on patrol through the sheriff's office. I patrolled in Denver, District 6, uh, Santa Clara, California. I've been invited to Texas to patrol with them. I've taken a look at what it takes to keep officers working in the job and how to recruit other ones. We need to do more than just nationwide and sending out emails to say, hey, would you like to join? We need to personally go out to these different cities and states, have uh, regular meetings with them, let them know what we can benefit them here. We need to look at the benefits for the officers as well, too. We really got to kick that up. El Paso County and the city is becoming so expensive to live. So many officers don't get pay until they're, or should I say better pay, till they've been on the job a year or two. So we need to increase that. We need to offer stipends to these officers as well, too. Uh, we need to take a look at what we're going to do in case of a situation in which we have to represent an officer in court. We need to make sure their training is correct. We had a question just the other day on how to train officers for all the riots that we're having. I've seen riots. I don't believe we really had a riot here in Colorado Springs. We've had people that are disenfranchised, but we need to have better communications within the community. I believe if we believe I believe if we build stronger bonds between the police department and the community, we'll be able to bring on other officers. But we also need to look at having academies maybe in two different buildings simultaneously instead of just one academy at a time. And just to clarify, you said you've patrolled over a thousand hours is that in a ride-along capacity uh, ride-along that that was in the vehicle yeah yes okay not as an officer you were not a as an officer. officer okay no i helped with uh spanish services Got it. i've uh had mental health training mm -hmm. okay all right thank you julie all right next question what are your thoughts on moving spring municipal elections here in colorado springs to the fall 
this could help, in theory, improve minority voter turnout and save the city approximately $600,000 for its elections. I think that's a great idea. Why would you want to print a piece of paper multiple times and send it out multiple times? Let's save a couple of dollars. Isn't that the thing we really truly have to do? I believe by switching it, we'll get more interest within itself. Um, It's incredible when you look at the presidential race and all those that voted. Then you begin to take a look, let's say the county commissioner's race, and then you see a decline. And then for the mayor's race, it's almost as though people are disinterested. They just don't get the information. Um, Gone are the days where uh, you'll do a debate and it'll be recorded live and and put out. Now everything is uh, telepod podcasted. So we need to go back to where they can see it as it's happening. A lot of people these days, you know, they'll flip onto YouTube and they'll get onto a podcast and they'll watch it for maybe two minutes and flip back to YouTube. So yeah, we need to switch it. We need to put everything on one piece of paper and not continuously bombard the community with different situations. Can I ask about affordable housing? Is that to me? Okay. So how would you address the city's affordable housing crisis? Okay, look, you're a developer. You can you can build a $40 million apartment complex downtown. You can build a complex in Southeast. Let's use that as an example. Southeast is hurting very much so for affordable housing. When the rents began to go up, you saw those who were living up north come further down south. And those who were there down south moved even further down south to uh, Southeast where an apartment, a one-bedroom, is $1,100. That doesn't include utilities. A two-bedroom is $1,500. And the one-bedroom is about 575 square feet, while a two-bedroom is only 800 square feet. Once again, if you're going to build in an area where we know you're going to make money, we don't expect you to take a loss. But build something where somebody else has to live. They're not going to lose. They're going to have land. They're going to have the building. They're still going to make money on the rents that they get. So let's make sure that they're not the ones who dictate where they're going to build. We need to dictate where they're going to build. We also need to make sure when they do build that, uh, I hate to say it because the word rent cap seems to be a, a bad word but we truly need to do that there's so many people who are barely surviving now who after their rent can no longer afford to pay insurance on their vehicles so they're driving without insurance they've got no money to feed their kids as you know snap benefits were reduced for this month so an average fat four uh four person family used to receive about $125 a month. Then during the pandemic, they were able to get $800 a month. This was the first time in a long time kids were able to eat, especially healthy. Now we're switching it back to the old system of $105. And because rents are so high, you're going to have kids once again having sugary cereal for breakfast, bologna sandwiches for dinner. We really got to change that. And affordable housing can change that because that allows these people to save money and be able to use it either toward groceries or their other expenses. Okay, thank you. Julie? Yes. What are your thoughts on raising city council pay? Uh, higher specifically, obviously, raising. And that might be inclusive of others who don't have the ability to serve currently. Raise the pay. Well, you know what? We've tried that multiple times and asked the citizens, and each time they said no, would I raise the pay? I don't know, because sometimes you got to make sure that uh, the persons who come into city council has the ability to sustain themselves, and most of the people on city council are retired military. 
Um, I do believe we should at least double what it is now to make it at least $13,000 a year. That would help a person. As far as raising it so high to make it $40,000, $50,000, we're already over the budget that we have. So how in the world are we going to start paying these larger amounts? And does that change anything from the lifetime politicians who will run again anyway? And just to make clear for people who are watching and listening who don't know what city councils, you said double to 13000 They make $6,250 a year right now. That's current pay. So mm -hmm. uh, another money question. Uh, if you were elected mayor, do you foresee asking the voters for any increased fees or taxes? No, I think we, what we need to do is take a look at what we're doing in-house. Are we overpaying certain people for services? We also need to look to the private companies to see if they can do contracts at a cheaper price than what we do. Um, as an example, the last utility CEO was making over $500,000 a year. That's just incredible. I mean, there's enough intelligent people who would probably do it for $250,000. That's just a bit much. So let's see what the budget does, see how we can trim it, and then see what we need to ask from the citizens themselves. Let's make sure that we're not going to overtax, because what we tax the poor, we tax the rich. So we need to do a balance on that. Okay. Julie, did you have any other questions? I am done with my questions. All right. Thank you. Lawrence, those are all the specific questions. Maybe you could take just a couple minutes to close us out and remind voters why they should vote for you. We need to replace the lifetime politicians. We've got so many politicians who wear different badges. I was a Boy Scout. Many of us were overachievers. We wanted those patches on that, that <laughs> shirt. And that's all they're doing is putting on another patch. Many of them will tell you what they're doing and how they did it and why you should make them mayor. Then they tell you they can fix the problems that they were addressing when they first ran. Mm -hmm. uh, I hate to burst their bubble. We still have the same problems. They haven't addressed anything. Then they let us know that, you know, I did this, I did that, and I was able to make the community better. Well, you should have. You were being paid for it. Isn't that the whole reason why you ran? You, I mean, persons like myself, I volunteer what I do either through the El Pomaro programs I do. I go, without, I go within the community itself to take a look at where our problems are. If you really want to see a neighborhood, walk through the neighborhood. You can tell who has money to be able to keep the lights on, how their property is doing, how old their car is doing. A mayor should be able to do that. A mayor should also have an open door policy where you can knock on that door, at least do a podcast once a month for a couple of hours, have people call in with direct questions and answer them. You can't keep telling them, well, Come and see this person, but you're the mayor. You're the one who dictates what the other person does. So I think we need to be more community-orientated. The mayor should really be going out to different areas and mixing with community events. Um, the mayor should also be going down to the uh, food banks to take a look what's inside the food banks to see who needs what and why they need it. He also needs to go and see what the apartment complexes are. I'll give a story here. Tom Strand, I told Tom, there's real serious problems with the bus system. I wrote the bus system for a year to see how actually hard it is to go from one side of town to the other. So Tom came out, and Tom tells me, you know, we can get a, a bus, and they'll pick us up. I said, no, no. <laughs> they're going to bring us the cleanest bus, the <laughs> nicest driver. So I said, no, Tom, you're going to meet me over there off of uh, Circle and Fountain. We're going to take the number one bus. You're going to take a look at the different conditions that are the bus itself. Mm -hmm. So we got on the bus. He was amazed how dirty the bus was, even though we're paying it. 
people to keep him clean, the contracts with that. Um, he was not very happy with the way the drivers interacted. So we went into the bus stop itself downtown. Mm-hmm. And I told him, let's take a look at the situation. We took a look at the men's room. It was just totally destroyed with no interest at all to fix it. Funny story of that. There they have a button, an emergency button. And Tom went up to it and he says, I'm going to press it. I said, oh, no, Tom, don't press it. Tom says, yes, I am. He pressed it. Guard comes out and tells him like this, hey, stop screwing around with that button. (laughs) Instead of asking, what is the emergency, emergency, (laughs) right? And he was stunned at that. So I'm very glad about him for that. Wayne Williams as well, too. Wayne and I have great conversations on what we need to do for the city itself. He does allow me to speak with him in person instead of email or on all the other stuff, uh, which is really hard because I'm before the county commissioners quite a bit, and I present to them ideas, solutions, and things we need to do to help correct because uh, Southeast is in, is in District 5, mm-hmm. Cami Bremer's district. It's incredible when I go over there and I ask for conversation, and the only thing they do is, Mr. Martinez, your three minutes are almost up. Wrap it up. No conversation. Lungalis is is bad about that. The gentleman won't talk to me about what needs to be done, but yet he wants to be mayor. If I can't talk to him, and I've known him since he ran for city council and lost, what makes other people think that he's going to talk to them? Then the second problem is he's still in office. He still has two years he has to serve, but yet he's running for mayor, but he's, he hasn't made anything to do with if he wins, then all of a sudden they're going to have to find another person. If he doesn't win, he still has a job. Okay, you know, if you worked for me and you went across the street to another business, put in your application and talk to them, then you came back to me and said, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. If they don't hire me, I'm going to still be here. Hey, man, you know what? Make sure they hire you because I don't want you. His voters, he, he's leaving them just out in the cold. And I don't see that's right. You really should fulfill what you wanted to do and to what you told the voters you were going to do. So fulfill your term. Make sure they're taken care of. All right. Thank you, Lawrence. Uh, And you've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work podcast and check out LWVPPR for more information on our candidate forums in March. And be sure to check in with 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced and directed by Dave Gardner. I'm Brian Grossman, Executive Editor. And I'm Juliet with the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stirring Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah, and... 
if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you Which can do. just you can just subscribe to the sixty thirty five podcast network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it? That wasn't so painful.